You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. I want to begin by reading what you could say is a very basic verse. Mark 1, verse 14 and 15. I'm going to read Mark 1, 14 and 15 to begin. And then later on, we're going to be jumping into Isaiah 55, uh, but I have a little bit of an introduction until we get there. Let me begin reading Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. This is Mark 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's close in prayer. Let's begin in prayer, not close. Uh, that's a, that would be a great message. In fact, that's where my mind is. Some of you are like, I told you, he's going to hone it down on Christmas Day. How is he going to trim it down even faster than that? I don't know if I'm that good. Uh, the word is, though. That's probably about enough. Honestly, that's actually a very good beginning. Repent and believe the gospel. That's as simple as it gets. And that's the message today. So literally, let's pray. Father, we thank you, even for the, for the mishap of how I speak. Lord, we're thankful for your grace and forgiveness. God, that, that we don't take ourselves too seriously here, Lord. We're grateful for that. We're thankful that you have grace and you forgive us. That, God, you're, you're patient with us. And that's the message of we hear from your word today, that we can come to you and you dispense your compassion, your love, and your mercy upon us. Father, we're a needy people. And yet, God, you are a, a, a God that is overflowing, abundant in mercy and grace. And you're desiring to give us good things. And we praise you for that today. So thank you, God, for the simplicity of your gospel. Thank you for the fact that a child can understand the goodness of your grace to us today. And yet, the complexities and the depth, the depth of which we will never plumb the bottom of it. We'll never find the ends of it. We can continue to talk about this for eternity. So thank you, God, for these truths. Thank you for this season of Christmas. We praise you for it, the happiness that it brings, the joy that it brings. Lord, help us today for these next 30 minutes or so to just slow down, to consider in our hearts what you have done and what you have given us. And then as we come before your table and partake in communion and and, and show one another that we are unified together around a table as your church through your spirit. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So this series, like I had mentioned in my prayer, and as I said, repent and believe the gospel, we are, we are very much so been going over uh, the, the simplicities of the gospel and yet the complexities of it. You could say we've been uh, kind of taking apart the gospel, and that's the goal that we'll be going through over the next couple of weeks. As you look at the nuts and bolts of the gospel, uh, it's a very simple message. Believe in Jesus. And yet, it's a complicated one. Is what does that mean for me and where I'm at? Well, how does that reach me in my heart and my soul? And is this message still relevant for me in the 2022, right? This modern age we live in is a message of faith and repentance still valid for people like you and me, right? And so we're going to be talking about those two twin graces as they're discussed in some ways today. 
But as we think about the nuts and bolts of, this, of salvation, last week we even looked at uh, this, this word grace, this idea from John 1, verse 16, where it says that from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And grace and truth came to us through Jesus Christ. And it does. In some ways, I want to end. Grace is given to you. Repent from your sin. Follow Jesus in faith. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> right? And in some ways, that is how simple it is and how wonderful this message is. But I don't know about you. I, t- I tend to maybe not overthink things, but I want to understand things. I'm not sure if you're like that. Are you, are you the kind of person who likes to um, take things apart and then put them back together again? You, you like to know how they work, right? I've seen some of you. I've had the experience of being around the job site with some of you and watch you build a house. For many of you, can construct something from nothing. You can take all the parts and pieces and, and take it like a Lego, like a Lego set and, and put it all together into this marvelous construction uh, to create something out of almost what to me looks like nothing. Uh, some of you are very good with um, uh, maybe making a meal and the meal that's presented, you have all the ingredients laid out in front of you. And again, to me, it looks confusing, and I don't know how to do or what to take there, and and yet you could take all the pieces and put them all together and be presented as a wonderful, blessed meal to bless many people. Some of you I know are into uh, computers, and I know some of you uh, can take and order online all the different parts for a computer, and you can take the different parts of a computer, and you can put them together and build a computer, which seems it blows my mind to even consider these things, right? Uh, and some of you, uh, I've talked with you, even a, a couple of you, I won't name by names, but uh, I've been recently, I was on, a, on the hunt for a car and a vehicle, and as you know me, I'm, I'm extremely manly, and I know uh, so many things about cars and vehicles and man stuff, and so I was online researching all these different things, and then I'm just in conversation with a few of you, and you, your knowledge about cars and vehicles and it's incredible. You, you pull the hood of a car, you look into that car, and you see all the, the stuff in that, 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 like the alternators and the combustion chambers and the fuel injectors and the Hemi, I don't even know. There's so many where I'm trying to literally, you know, the stuff in there that makes the car go faster or stronger or bigger or whatever. Um, those things, you can literally, you can see all those parts laid out on a garage floor and you can take part by part and, and put it back and assemble a, a vehicle, potentially many of you, even better than it was before. Something breaks and I go into the auto body shop and I say, well, the noise is like this, you know, it's going clunk, 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 and then it goes, you know, you, you describe the noise because you have no idea what's wrong with the vehicle that you're driving and it feels, it's a very humbling experience for me on a regular basis, Okay. But uh, as you go through those things, you, you can see something, small parts, things, and put them together. And you get something extraordinary. Something complex to you uh, is not so complex to you. So others, it may look complex. And when we think about the gospel, it is very complex and yet very simple. And as we study and we grow and we learn about Christ and about His salvation and the gospel message, we learn to understand the different parts of the gospel that are put together to deliver to us the vehicle of salvation. And, and we could maybe simplify it all, as we have been doing in this series, of grace. Now I may be thinking, what's the most important word in the world? 
You know, it's like, well, Jesus, or this, or that. And sometimes the word grace seems to be a nice word (laughs) to summarize so much of what we're talking about in salvation. And so if you would think of grace, this grace we talked about last week, this unmerited favor. Grace is God's kindness to us when we deserve punishment, right? Uh, Or judgment, and, and it's, it's not just a feeling or a disposition of favor and kindness that, that you know, God, he, he has a, a nice feeling every now and then, and, and he, he's kind, and it's not that he just feels one way, or, but that he acts in it. It's God's grace. It's not that, well, with God, it's the thought that counts, you know. <laughs> no, it's his actions in how he pours out his grace, demonstrates to us his great love through Jesus Christ. Remember last week we talked about how the word grace, really you could say grace equals Jesus. And as grace is embodied in the person and the work of Jesus, we experience God's grace in and through Jesus Christ. As we ourselves are united to Christ, as we are buried with Him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life, as we find unity in both His death and His resurrection, we find ourselves in union with Christ. And it's in that union that we experience the grace of God. And then that grace is given to us in so many different ways that we're going to be just looking at like a handful this month, the gifts of grace. In your Advent devotionals, maybe you've been going through those, the gifts of grace. It goes through 25 different gifts of God's grace that are all made possible by Jesus Christ. For without Jesus Christ, those gifts have not been bestowed or received by us. And so we have received in John 1... Grace upon grace. Last week, Ephesians 2, 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Salvation, we speak of God's gospel call upon us. We have, as we looked at last week, the gospel comes to us and there is a moment internal, mysterious as it is, as the spirit moves and works as the wind. We do not always know where and when and how, but we experience and see the effects of the spirit. And as the spirit fills us, we find that there is a regeneration that occurs. Do you remember that word from last week? Regeneration. There is a internal combustion chamber, you could say, where the spark is lit and there's a fire now where there was not before. There is now a live, beating heart. You have gone from death to life. You have been born again. There are a variety of ways of the Bible describing what we're talking about. As we said, there's a coming to faith. There is a, as we would say, maybe a conversion story. There is uh, this aspect of salvation. But what, what is salvation? What are we being saved from? Well, we were dead in our sins. Now we have, as we looked at last week, we have been made alive together in Christ or together with Christ. That is the regeneration. And yet, how is it that we get to that point? How is it that we experience that? It's a mystery in many ways. And yet, there are so many things that always accompany regeneration and the life within us. There is something that if there is new life and there is regeneration, I can guarantee these things are going to be present in that person and present surrounding that circumstance. On Christmas Day, I can typically guarantee that there's going to be a Christmas tree and there's going to be gifts given and received. 
You can pretty much bank on that in one way, shape, or form. On, on Thanksgiving Day, if you were to come to a Thanksgiving, I can pretty much guarantee that there's going to be turkey, although I talked to a few of you, and you said, you don't do turkey on Thanksgiving Day, and I'm like, are you even an American, right? right? You know, so, but apparently, that's a thing now. Turkey's not as cool as it used to be. Okay, whatever. But, but that idea, right? You know, on Thanksgiving, there are certain things to expect that accompany Thanksgiving, you can expect, if you're going to go to a Thanksgiving celebration, that there will be things that you can expect to come. Whatever it might be, Christmas season or fall or summertime, you can expect it to be warmer and that people are vacationing and all of these. There are things that we can come to expect, even in our relationships, in our marriages. You can say, well, there's Jordan, and you can come to expect that where Jordan is, there will be Jamie, my better half, right? And so you have this relationship where there is me singularly and my wife singularly, and yet we are together. We are one. And so there's, there's this aspect of salvation. And when there is salvation and there is a conversion, you can expect that there will be things that will accompany that. There will be things that initiate that. And the two things I would say that are vital in initiating and accompanying salvation are the two concepts I want to look at today. We would say the twin graces, faith and repentance. Twin graces, I borrowed that term from R.L. Dabney. He expressed it best when he insisted that repentance and faith are twin graces. We could think of it like conjoined twins. I don't know if you've seen that before. I actually saw online, but there's actually this kind of conjoined twins. They're born together, joined together at the hip or the side. There's even a picture of two children, two babies attached at the head, yet two individuals yet conjoined as one. And it's this picture of faith and repentance, separate yet together, and so vital for one another. You, you, you can hardly go with one without the other. Peanut butter and jelly. Am, am I making sense here, right? You know? Repentance, though, however, as we look at it in the Bible, there is often, when you'll read the Bible, particularly in the book of Acts, where you'll often see repentance mentioned singularly. Then you'll read other verses where it will say, have faith and believe, singularly, void of repentance. So sometimes you look at one verse, see, I just need faith. The other one says, see, you just need to repent. And so you try to figure out which one is which. For example, Acts 2.38, I was going to look up some of these earlier, I I know the booth might be able to follow along with me in some of them, I'm not sure, but Acts 2.38 says, this one's very well known, Acts 2.38, when Peter is speaking, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. He he, he just starts off right off the bat, uh, right after Pentecost, repent, right? This is his first word, he leads with this, he says in other places as well, Acts 2.38. In fact, the next chapter, Acts 3, 3, uh, what it is, 3.19, I think it is. Acts 3.19 says, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Peter's saying, look, repent, turn back from your sin, you'll be saved. All right? And this, so this is aspect of repentance, turning. Repentance is this aspect of metanoia, this idea of turning away from something and turning towards something else. I believe it is in Luke, Luke 3, uh, Luke 13, 3, I'll just read it there, Luke 13, 3, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Speaking to the Pharisees, he's, uh, Jesus is literally saying, listen, I'm telling you this, you better repent or you're going to perish. 
So, so salvation comes here through repentance. And yet, then we read in Acts 16, Acts 16, 31. The Bible says this, says he's, this is the Philippian jailer situation where he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31. They answer him and said, Paul said, oh, sorry, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe, it says. It says nothing about repentance here in this part. Believe, believe, believe. This faith. Have faith and you will be saved. Well-known verse in Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, 9. And this whole passage, in fact, speaks about this concept of uh, calling out to the Lord, uh, calling out upon Him and you will be saved. Romans 10, 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. And then, maybe the most well-known of them all, John chapter 3, verse 16. Right? We all know it. We all have memorized it. We hear it talked about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And so often if we read one verse singularly away from another, we, we don't get the holistic aspect of salvation, of coming to faith. And yet we find in a, there's a few instances where they're joined together. We read at the beginning of the service, remember in Mark chapter 1, where it says, repent and believe the gospel. Jesus said that in Mark 1. And then we see other verses like Acts 20, Acts 20 verse 21 this is speaking of Paul as he speaks to the Ephesian elders, kind of speaking to them about the job that they have as an elder, the job that they have to teach and preach the gospel. And he says, you remember, friends, how, how we have been preaching to you in public. We've been going house to house and teaching others about the gospel. You know, the gospel, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we see this dual action, the twin graces being presented to us as the holistic aspect of the gospel. Here we have this sense of this good news. This is a repentance towards God, implying repentance from sin, then faith in Jesus. Here we have maybe one of the simplest forms of the gospel right there given to us as he's hearkening back to the words that Jesus said, that John the Baptist had said, repent, the kingdom is at hand. And all of these, these wonderful ways of describing what it means. John Murray, a writer, said, saving faith is permeated with repentance, and repentance is permeating, permeated with saving faith. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way, in grammatical terms, then the words repent and believe both function as a synecdoche, the figure of speech in which a part is used for the whole. Thus, repentance implies faith, and faith implies repentance. One cannot exist without the other. And I would say, depending on your background, you often are gravitating towards one or the other. Depending on what you grew up in. Potentially, you grew up under a culture, an environment of heavy law-keeping. Uh, some of you grew up in the opposite. Uh, a loose, you could say, a, a heavy, loose, and license culture and environment, where there was no right and wrong and rule and law. It was do as you please. Others grew up in a time of, you could say, as we talked about last week, the difference on the pendulum between legalism and antinomianism. 
these two concepts that often we find ourselves in one or the other. And so when it comes to repentance, turning from your sin, many of you are, are well aware of your sin, for you've been told that since you were a little child. Others ha- have no real awareness of their sin. For in fact, like Romans 1 and other places that speak about uh, this aspect of, of not knowing the law, for the law is our school teacher and our master, and it comes in to teach us how we have broken God's law and we are in need of God's salvation. So depending on your background, whether you gravitate towards one or the other, often God will use repentance or faith to draw you. Faith and grace that has been poured out upon you and forgiveness for your sins. Many others, as Ray Comfort does in the Ten Commandments, as he uses those to describe and witness to people. And he uses the way of, hey, do you consider yourself a good person? And most people you meet on the street will say, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. And then he walks them through the Ten Commandments and shows to them how they've broken almost every single commandment. And he said, do you think God would consider yourself to be a good person? And can you just be a good person to get your way to heaven to receive salvation, whatever it might be? And so there's a way to describe these two things, and I think depending on your background, you often gravitate towards one or the other, but we cannot have one without the other. This is conversion, really, you could also say. It's not really this sense of a formula. You need a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but rather it's faith in the person of Jesus. Conversion is not this sense of a formula, but rather a faith and repentance combined in a holistic way, in a manner in which we are simply putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And what that means is it works itself out in our lives in different ways. And we might all have a different experience when it means, when it comes to coming into saving faith. But I can guarantee that in that saving faith, there will be, there will accompany your saving faith, a manner of faith and repentance and regeneration that brings new life And that will come about, as we'll talk about in the coming weeks, the aspects of justification and sanctification. But as we we think this through, I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 55. When I first was preparing to, to preach on this concepts of grace and faith and repentance, Isaiah was not the book that first came to my mind. Often we think of the Old Testament as very like, hardcore and, and cold and, and, and law, right? Many times, unfortunately, that's what goes through our mind. But you'll read as we look at this passage, we're going to walk through particularly verses 1 through 3, and then we'll look at verses 6 through 9 and, and kind of summarize some of the end. We're not looking at every single verse here, but Isaiah 55 ca- carries with this, this wonderful concepts. And I think it teaches us today, uh, it, it, it helps it unveil for us what grace is, what, what faith looks like, and what repentance is, and gives us a wonderful depiction of salvation from the Old Testament that I find is very beautiful in its own right. Life is, is messy sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> Life can look very ugly at times. Scary, maybe it would be. But we come to passages like this that deflect our, our, our thinking to the dirtiness and the grossness and the challenges and the pain of life. And it, it draws our eyes upward to behold the beauty of God. And the beauty of God is seen in His grace and in the person of Jesus Christ poured out upon you and me. And I hope today, as we look literally the next couple of minutes, just at this chapter, I hope you'll be able to find yourself marveling, praising God, for the beauty of who he is. For some of worship is simply sitting and beholding God. And I think a wonderful way to do that is in chapters like this. In Isaiah 55, 
where we see and we behold your God. And so we look at this passage. We look as these concepts will be fleshed out here. The first idea is in verse 1 where we see a gracious host. A host setting a table before you, you could say. And he's welcoming you. Isaiah 55.1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Verse 2 says, why, why do you spend your money for that which is not even bread? And your labor you spend for that which does not even satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Verse 3 says, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. We look back at verse 1, this, this welcoming invitation. Jesus says these same words in John chapter 7, verse 37. He is quoting from Isaiah 55. Jesus stands up after the feast in John 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living Water, your stone-cold heart like the water uh, that flowed from the stone, from the rock in the wilderness, as the rock and the water poured out upon the people of Israel and gave them and quenched their thirst. We find that our stone-cold hearts will flow from it, this river of living water. And who is that living water for? It is for you and it is for me. It is for everyone, although it is not for everyone. It is for those of you who thirst. It is for the hungry. There's a way in which Jesus describes it, that all would come, that none would perish, and all would come to repentance, yet many are not willing to repent. Many don't even know they're hungry. Many don't even know they're thirsty. If you find yourself today hungry and thirsty, spiritually searching and yearning for life and for truth, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. As we will say, take, eat, come to the table. Take of him, drink of him, and you will find springing from your life rivers of living water. Matthew 5, blessed are the poor who have no money. Come to this place and I'll give you food. Food that is for those who are blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Isn't that awesome? You can be satisfied. You know what it's like to chase things that don't satisfy you. I don't even have to work hard at that. You all know. You can chase whatever it is, fill in the blank. You'll chase it and chase it until you get it. You'll get it and you'll be chasing something else. He says, what are you doing? Wasting all your money? On something that isn't even bread? 
It doesn't even nourish. You're spending all your labor and time on things that will, will never satisfy. What are you doing? Rather, come to the table because there's a gracious host. He's willing to dispense his grace. He's a generous host because it costs you nothing. It's been paid for and it is free. No money. He says this is, this, is a, this is for the rich, right? And for the good and for those who work their way up the ladder. No, no, no. This is the opposite. For those who are hungry and those who are thirsty, come to the table because rather come and buy wine and milk. Well, with whose money? I, don't, I can't afford this. You know that feeling when that bill comes in your mail or in your email and you see that bill and you have no money to pay that bill. You know that feeling. I've been there. And you wonder, how is it we're going to make it this month? And many of us know the economy these days, all the sorts of things that come into it, the pressures of Christmas to make sure it produces what it was last year and outdoes the year before. You know that time, that period, maybe there was a time in your life even when you experienced the physical, financial strain of life here in America. And you know what that means of having that bill and having no money, potentially the job is lost, whatever it might be, that diagnosis comes along and you know the feeling of being broke, being poor, physically destitute. And yet we take that feeling and we remind ourselves that is what we are apart from Christ. Dead in our sins, unable to pay our debt, unable to purchase the food we need to nourish our very lives Rather, when that has been provided for you, the bread has been broken for you, the blood has been shed for you, and He gives you His bread and His, His body for you. It's been purchased so that you may take of it and live. You may have life. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. It's free. We like to put a price to a lot of stuff. We like to earn it. We like to be able to have enough to buy it, right? We didn't have enough. Jesus had it all. He purchased you and me back unto himself. That's the word redeemed. He has redeemed us. He has purchased us from the slave market of sin and brought us into the glorious adopted family of God. This is salvation. It's free. Come to the table, eat, and enjoy. It's like full of joy. It's not like, well, I'm going to come kicking and screaming. Come and enjoy the gift of salvation. It's awesome. Can I say that in church, right? It's awesome. It's wonderful. It's full of peace, and happiness, grace, forgiveness, and mercy. Things you don't hear about very much on the news. But you'll hear about every single day here in God's word and I hope for in this church. And I, I pray that you're listening. And that's what uh, the passage here says. Isaiah 55 verse 2, the second part and into verse 3. He's a very good preacher. As he pauses and he knows his, his readers maybe are growing a little tired or their tummies are actually getting a little hungry and thinking about lunch, which is to come in a few minutes, right, some of you? And you're, you're coming up with your plans. And what does he say? Listen up. Some of you just, whoa, looked at me, right? I love that. That's great. Some of you, listen up. Incline your ear, he says. Hear me, he says. Incline your ear. Hear. Listen. What does he want you to listen to? Well, he wants you to listen because it's a big deal. This is very serious. Incline your ear. Come to me. 
Hear that your soul may live. You don't want to miss that message. <laughs> you don't want to miss a literal message about life and death. There are many things you're going to do this week that I don't care if you listen to or not. Some of you are in school. Some of those classes, really important. Some aren't. Don't tell them that your pastor said don't listen. I'm just saying, if you're going to fall asleep in geometry class, okay, you'll probably live another day. If you're going to fall asleep when it comes to matters of eternal life and you're going to treat this as the same thing as geometry, God says, listen to me that your soul may live. You, you, could, you could fail geometry class, but you could pass this, and it, nothing of that would matter. We see that this is a matter of life and death. And, and we know we need to listen because the Bible says in Romans 10, verse 17, faith. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You, oh, i got to make it to church again. Oh, it's so difficult, so busy. The kids are this, kids are that. It's cold out, yada, yada, yada. Every little description that comes into your mind to not make it out here today, and yet you've come, and what does that do for you? Well, I don't know, I don't ever remember. Faith comes by hearing. Your faith can be strengthened because the word of God is preached to you. In that passage Romans is talking about, preaching, because how are they gonna hear without a preacher, right? How are we going to have faith if no one tells them about this good news? But the gospel goes forth, it is preached to you. You might not understand every aspect of it, but there's a real spiritual sense of God dispensing and encouraging and strengthening your faith because you have been willing to submit to his word by hearing what it is he has to say. And so it's important to go through the habits of grace, of hearing from his word in your personal time, coming to church and hearing what it might be said, and to listen and to, to submit ourselves underneath that allows our faith to be strengthened. Hearing the word, incline your ear, seek and now believe. And so look at verse 6. Verse 6, he, he says, hey, here, remember in verse 3, listen to me, uh, let your faith here reach. And now he says, hey, faithful people, seek out. Seek the Lord. Look at this, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. This, this is that sense of you are lost, you're in a dark place, and you need somewhere to go. And it's like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and you seek that light. And by faith, you're walking towards that light and away from where you came. You're headed out of the darkness towards the light. And as you walk towards that life, your faith is grown, your faith is strengthened as you put your trust in the light of God, the light who has come down, entered the world, given darkness to those who stand in light. And so seek the Lord while he may be found. Hey, call upon him while he is near, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we call upon him while you have the chance. You do not know what tomorrow may bring. We call upon him. We reach out in faith. We trust him. And as we do, we are simultaneously repenting from sin as we turn. And we walk towards Christ. Follow him. For rather, verse 7. What does verse 7 say? Verse 7 is repentance. Faith is found in verse 6. Uh, repentance here. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Turn away from your wickedness. Turn away from your sins. We have all broken God's law. All have transgressed. No one is righteous. No, not one. We are all on the same level playing field of sin. Every single one of us. You and me. We come before the throne. We come before the cross even. And we come before the king. And we stand in need. And yet he has supplied all our needs and he has given us everything that we need for, for salvation. So we turn from our sin, we repent, we turn towards God. And in a sense, in verse 7 there, we return. 
where we began. Genesis 1. We are made good in the presence of God in a relationship with Him. We are now returned to His wonderful, glorious grace. And what is it that you receive? You are dead in your trespasses and sin. You repent from that and you turn towards God. And what is it that you get, in a sense? What is it that you receive? Ever heard of the story of the prodigal son? What is it that the son receives? Chastisement, judgment, shame. He's already experienced all that. He knows very well what that is about. He has repented in turn. He comes running or walking and his father has his arms stretched out and runs towards him. And what is it that he receives? He receives compassion. <laughs> he receives love. And ultimately, he receives forgiveness. But not just mercy and forgiveness. Now go about your day. But grace. Because he throws him a party and kills the fatted calf. And there's a celebration for him entering into the presence of God. That's an incredible re uh, rendition of this verse 7. As we return to the Lord, we come to him wincing because he's going to strike us with lightning, right? Because of all the things. No, we, we come to him knowing that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You know what that word abundantly pardon means? It means abundantly pardon. But it also means, it also means that abundantly word, that right there, has the sense of multiplication. It means that his pardons and forgiveness multiply. He is multiplying pardon upon pardon upon pardon upon pardon, just like he does with grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. This is the beautiful aspect of, of God's grace and his marvelous compassion. He multiplies us together. How many times should you forgive? What does Jesus say? 77 or times 7, right? It's like this. So I, you always forgive over and over. This, that's what God does for you. We forgive because he has forgiven us. See, God is not like us. Look at verse 8 and verse 9. Verse 8 and 9, we see and we are reminded of verses that are well known but often aren't taken in the context. Why is God not like us? For his, uh, uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. What's the next verse? Verse 9, for the heavens are higher than the earth and my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Uh, you know, how many of us are thankful that God's ways are not our ways? Would you forgive you? Would you forgive you 77 times, 7 times, 7 times, 7? Would you keep coming back and giving grace? Would you have died for the human race? For a man, scarcely would even die for a righteous person, the Bible says. How about even for an enemy? Would you turn the other cheek? I'm thankful God's ways are not my ways. Because I, Jordan Moody, would not give the amount of grace that God gives to Jordan Moody. Okay? And so God's ways are better. God's ways are higher. His ways are more holy and wonderful, and yet His grace and mercy is even greater. He forgives and He forgets. When we forgive, we have trouble forgetting. God takes your sin as far as the east is from the west. He buries it at the bottom of the sea, and He throws it away. He atones for it through Jesus as Jesus takes your debt that cannot be paid, and He nails it to the cross, and He leaves it there to now bestow to you eternal life and joy, and to now sanctify you day in and day out to be like Him each and every day. And so it is that we can trust him with these things. You can trust him. You can put your faith in him because he says these things that he preaches, these words will not return void. Look at verse 10 as we bring this to a close. For the rain and snow come down from heaven 
Some of you are like, well, let's just talk about the rain, not the snow. Okay, snow is coming, but the rain and the snow, they come down from heaven, but they do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. When it snows, when it rains, God sends it for a purpose, it accomplishes its purpose, and it brings forth life and vegetation. Look at that's the same thing God says in verse 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, or it shall not return void. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing in which I sent it. Verse 12, for you shall go out in joy, be led forth in peace. Mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing. The trees of the field shall clap their hands. Verse 13, instead of the thorn, instead of the darkness, instead of the difficulties and the pain, instead of the, the real loss and the sorrow, instead of that, what comes? It is a, a, a desert being restored shall come up the cypress tree. Instead of the briars and the brambles and the pain and the bleeding, shall come up a myrtle tree, and it shall be make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. We can trust him. His word will go forth, and it will not return void. When he says these things, you believe and you trust him. You put your faith in him. You repent from your sin, and you will be saved. You can, I can promise you that. And, and from inside, there will be this news of the gospel news. It'll spring forth. It'll bring forth life. And it will burst into life like a seed that has been planted. Yeah, like even a tiny little mustard seed will bring forth and bring new life. And so by repenting from our ways of death, putting our faith in the way and the person of Jesus Christ, in his saving grace, we overcome the grave. We make a new way, a way of joy happiness, and peace on earth. As we began, Mark 1, it's simple. Many of you thought, maybe I could have just started with that. <laughs> Repent and believe the gospel. That's what Jesus says. I'm here. The kingdom of heaven is here. Kingdom, if you want to come into this kingdom, repent and believe the gospel. And who is that for? Isaiah 55. Come. Everyone who's thirsty. Come, everyone who wants to drink of the waters of life. Come, buy and eat. You don't need any money. It's been provided for you. Come, buy without money, without price. Here, and your soul will live. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for this truth. And as we come before your table, we ask, God, that you would be glorified in this that you would allow us to have willing ears, you would incline our hearts to, to receive, as your word says, to receive the implanted word of God, that it would be rooted within us and take burst forth into new life. For those of us who have been saved for a long time, I pray, God, you would kindle the flame, that you would fan into flame the gift of God that has been given to us. God, that you would allow that, that your spirit would go before us that we may lead, that it would lead us, that we would walk in your spirit. Thank you, God, for these truths, for your word. May you bring clarity to the gospel into our lives where there is confusion. Would you answer the questions that people may have here, even in this place today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.